Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. And that's intentional. We say that up front on the sales calls that we do and say, you know what, like, we have a deep body of expertise. You're going to have to pay for that. And it, we will be expensive. So if you're going to compare us to another generalist accounting firm or the accounting firm you're coming from that's a generalist accounting firm, we will be more expensive. Like we, we get that up front. And if they're okay with that and they understand that, great. Let's continue to have this conversation. Um, we don't want to waste our time and then like say, oh, our prices are 4X what you're, <laughs> you're currently being paid, you're charging from your, your accountant. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Many CPAs serve all kinds of clients, from service-based business owners to manufacturers to nonprofits. It seems like accounting is accounting and tax is tax, and you can do these things for anyone who needs them. The problem with generalism is that it leads to broad but shallow expertise, and shallow expertise is not worth as much as deep expertise. Acquiring deep expertise requires focusing on a specific type of client. And focusing this way can feel scary and limiting, and the thinking is that it will be harder to find clients because there will be fewer of them, and it's hard enough to generate business as it is, so why would I want to limit the kinds of clients I work for? Here today to talk with me about his journey taking his CPA firm into niches is my guest, Josh Lance. Josh is a CPA, CGMA, and the founder of Lance CPA Group. Josh, welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you, Geraldine. I am uh, super glad to be here. I'm happy to have you. So before we dive in here, let's give listeners a sense of your business, how many clients, how many staff, how long you've been at it, like that. Yeah, so I started Lance CPA Group about seven and a half years ago, um, and I started from scratch. I didn't have any employees, have any clients, have a book of business. Um, I've grown that. We work with over 250 clients, and I have a staff of 19 on, on staff with me um, that we've grown throughout the years. And we specialize in working with craft breweries uh, and digital agencies as our two niches in our firm. And can you give listeners a sense of your revenue to the extent that you're comfortable, like six, multi-six, seven, multi-seven, eight? I guess multi-seven would be eight. <laughs> we, we, we're a seven-figure okay. firm, yeah. <laughs> Cool. And I read on your website that you, it sounds like you started out niching right away early on. Um, how did you know, like how soon did you niche and how did you know to niche right away? Or did you just guess like what happened there right at the, at the outset? Yeah. So I, I did niche right away uh, with craft breweries. Uh, in my prior firm, I worked at a large CPA firm for a number of years as an auditor. Uh, and there we had a specialization in working with banks and financial institutions. And I saw a lot of benefit from that because you're working with clients in that same industry. You got a really good sense of what is going on. 
And as a result, you had that expertise and, and knowledge there. And so um, I saw that same thing as well. As a result, I wanted to kind of figure out what my niche was when I started my practice. And so I was a home brewer and knew the industry, enjoyed the industry. And I was like, you know what, like this would actually be kind of fun to, to work in. Um, I had some knowledge of some of the regulatory issues that those brewers faced and it was like okay there's a need of that and and right at that time when I started especially here in Chicago where I'm located um, there was a lot of new breweries starting up new craft breweries starting up uh, and as a result uh, it's all like okay this is a really good timing of this as well and so um, I, I started right away with that brewery niche uh, and just started reaching out to breweries I kind of knew around the area that were starting up and saying hey like this is what I do here's how I can help you let's see if we can have a conversation and so um, that's really kind of the, the genesis of what I was doing and and once I started to get kind of some traction there I was like okay like this niche actually does make sense and can work and, and and then away we went. And how long did it take for you to feel like you were getting traction? I would say it took us about six to nine months of kind of going at it to feel that, right? Um, you know, we were doing a lot of content marketing, we were going to different industry events, and it was just a lot of that, just kind of getting the name out, talking to people, building a network in that uh um, with that group and uh, kind of took that long. But then once we started doing it, um, what we found is our brewery clients were referred to other brewery clients, our breweries they knew. And that in the brewing industry, um, and like a lot of different industries, you know, they are kind of tightly knit. They know each other. They go to different events and um, some of them worked with each other before. And so it was kind of like once I got that inroads, like they start saying, hey, like we had a really great experience with Lance CPA group maybe you should go talk to them. And then that started generating more business. And um, and then it started kind of, you kind of started seeing that snowball happen of, um, you know, one new client got another new client, got another new client. And then you kind of started to see that traction really happen and take place. And in those first six to nine months when you were just starting out and you weren't quite full yet, did you take on other clients who weren't inside the brewery niche? Or were you like exclusive, like, no... I did a little, I did a little bit of that. Yeah, no, I did a little bit of that just to, you know, pay the mortgage and, and put money on the table. Um, but I did that knowing it was going to be pretty temporary, right? The goal wasn't that these are going to be long-term clients to our firm. And so some of that was just, um, you know, doing some one-off 1040 tax returns and things like that that I could do to generate some revenue. Um, but the focus is never on that. And, and as we grew the brewery niche and, and started having more and more clients, I just started letting those clients go um, that I, I had kind of handled temporarily. And they knew that going into, right? I was pretty upfront, like my niche is working with breweries and like that's the focus. And so while I can serve you now, I may not be able to serve you three years from now or five years from now or whatever that may be. And so um, they were pretty okay with that and they knew that and they were supportive of us as well. So that helped a bit, but I didn't ever wanted that to be my focus or the takeaway there because if I just start taking on a bunch of different clients then it's very easy to get your your hands stretched too thin and uh, and as a result then you can never really niche truly properly and, and that was always the goal of us is that like we needed to niche this properly and go all in on it and so that our stuff was fine just for some quick revenue but it was never the focus and we made sure that was never the focus. When did you start to feel like you really understood the brewing the brewing industry and you could call yourself an expert or a pro how long did that take i would say it took a couple years i knew certain different things of the industry that are different than others but i knew i needed to really build that knowledge over time and uh and really get deep right so 
you know, with some of those breweries starting up, their needs were simple and smaller and they didn't need that deep expertise. But as they grew there, the expertise was needed. And so um, I made it a point of going to their conferences and going to the places they learn things and not just like learning about accounting at a brewer's conference, but like how do you brew and different quality control things and uh, managing a sales team in a brewery, like all these things that are just like not an accountant necessarily needs to know per se, but I knew I needed to know that so I could know their industry pretty deeply. Um, and if I knew the things that their brewer was thinking of as they planned brews out or created recipes or the things that the sales team was thinking about or the marketing team was thinking about, I could think about that and then tie that back to what I was doing. And that really made me a better advisor and an expert as a result. And there was always just that continuous learning component. So um, of being there where my clients were learning things and learning those same things with them. Uh, And then taking that expertise, right? And then allowing that to now then use that as kind of a real big marketing push. Um, so doing, you know, now speaking at those conferences and uh, doing their podcast and doing those things, right? And getting into that um, because now I knew enough, not just in the accounting world, but of everything uh, that I could I could speak confidently on it. And that just made me a much better expert and much better advisor to the clients too, because we get a lot of questions from clients that aren't necessarily accounting related. It would be like, hey, like I'm trying to build a team and I'm struggling with hiring and do you have any tips on that? Or, um, you know, we're looking for a new software for our, our brewing management operations. And do you have any ideas on what we should be doing? And not necessarily accounting questions, but it was like, hey, you know what's going on in the in the industry. You may have a good idea of, of how the best handle this. And so um, that stuff is important because it's one thing to call yourself an expert in a niche. But if you don't understand the niche fully and what everything goes on in that in that industry, then it's you're kind of you're kind of driving a little bit blind uh, in a sense um, and you really need to have that clarity into that so I really made that focus I make that a focus of our team to do that uh, you know participate in those uh, in those webinars and events and things like that go to those conferences um, because that stuff's important and, and that's where you're gonna start to learn things and uh, pick up things that will help you be a better uh, advisor to your clients how long did it take before you got invited kind of on the podcast and speaking tour sort of recognized as the go-to accountant for breweries? It took a while just because I think they, a lot of those conferences, they'll probably get a pitches from a lot of different accounting firms or marketing firms or whatever vendor um, to say, oh yeah, I know your industry and can speak on it. And they really don't. And then they give a presentation that's kind of blah, right? So um, I found that, especially with kind of the bigger brewer conferences, that they have a little bit of sensitivity to that, that they've been burned too many times in the past, people saying they're experts and not really being an expert. Uh, and so with that, I um, really just started to you know, build the relationships with the people that were making decisions for those conferences um, uh, and find out who they are and say, hey, I'd love just to chat with you, see how I can help. Like, I would love to speak, I'd love to go on your podcast, or I'd love to speak at your conference. You know, if you have an opportunity for me to do that and and then gave some, you know, allow them even give some references to other breweries that we worked with. Right. So it wasn't just like, hey, I do this and maybe I work with one brewery. It's like, here's 30 other breweries you can call and and talk about the things we've helped them with. Right. And that kind of got them over the hump of like, okay, no, this is actually someone who knows what they're talking about and not just going to talk about, you know, here's an income statement. Here's a balance sheet. Like, you should know that. Right. But like talk about what that information means and like have expertise behind it. And so um, I, that was helpful. I also started, started doing my own kind of like video content for that for that industry. 
you know, particularly around things that were relevant to them or law changes that happen, and then that would blast that out via email um, to kind of our list that we built of different breweries and contacts we had in that um, as just another way to show expertise. And that also then led to speaking engagements and podcast things and, um, you know, going into different, every state has a Brewers Association Guild Society and going to their events and talking there and um, doing those things. And so um, it was just a lot of just building those relationships and kind of proving that I have that expertise that really started to open those doors um, and really made that possible. And then again, that just creates more opportunity with more breweries that hear our message and what we're doing. And like I said, I'm based in Chicago here, um, but we have breweries to work with across the country um, that they've heard of us one way or the other. And it's like, yeah, you know what you're talking about. You you have what we need. Let's let's chat. And so we like specificity around here. So how long is a while? Is that like seven days or seven years or seven or like? I would say it was probably <laughs> about three years uh, of doing it and, and and building that 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 relationship up um, and building other relationships that got me to that point where then I can you know, be on stage and talk. Um, so it wasn't right off the bat. Um, it did take some time, but I think that was that was good because that allowed me to further my expertise during that time period, become even more of an expert and and do that. And then that allowed me to have those doors be opened. And so um, it does, I think with any of this stuff, it takes some time to do, right? It's, you know, I could have gotten some quick wins and just pick up any old client here. But if I really want that expertise, I have to show that investment and, and build that investment. And that pays off in the long term, um, for sure. But it is it is work on the front end to, to do that and, and become that that expert uh, in whatever industry that you're working in. So some CPAs will resist the idea of niching because it feels imposter syndrome and fraud. And like, if I niche, I, then I hold myself out as an expert, but I'm not an expert until I've been in my niche. And so they chicken and egg and go around and nowhere. Was that a thing for you? If it was, did you just muscle your way through it? How'd that work? I think there's always that imposter syndrome that can be in there because you're like, okay, like, do I actually know as much as I think I know? Um, is there things I don't know? But I think it was really being intentional with those first clients and saying like, hey, I'm, I'm wanting to serve the brewing industry. I don't have a lot of clients. You may be my first client. You may be my second client. Um, but I'm going to be doing everything I can to help you out and learn as much as I can, right? And so um, in those that, those first few clients I brought on, it, it, it was being really clear that I wasn't going out there saying, hey, I work with all these chiropractors and I'm amazing when I had, don't work with any chiropractor. I have one chiropractor client. It was being honest, but saying like, you know, here's the things I do know. Like I've done my homework, I've, I've done my research and like, here's some of the things I think are relevant and important for you. I think clients appreciate that, right? Like, you know, that you are gonna do that. And in a lot of ways, like they appreciate that. It's like, hey, like you, if you're gonna spend all this time of your own dollar, investing in my industry great like i'm only going to benefit from that um and so they they were were real helpful um and we still work with those clients those same three clients were my first three clients still work with them today and, and built really great relationships with them that have, have, have been good but it was that honesty up front to say like i'm green I, I i know some stuff but i'm green and i'm willing to learn and, and do what it takes and so um i think anytime you try to build a niche sometimes itself if you have a bunch of clients already you may already have a few clients in that industry and you're like okay like i got something here like i'm doing something right but you i think there's also that honesty and that candor of like I'm not going to be, I don't have a hundred clients here. <laughs> I have, I have a couple and like, I'm going to be honest here, but I'm going to do what it takes to uh, ensure that, you know, I, I can, I can meet what you need. Transparency. And I'm going to take good care of you. It's always the easiest than trying to fake it. 
So let me see. I wanted to ask you about rising up out of the day-to-day and becoming more of an advisor. And I'm curious how your role has evolved over the years from actually doing the accounting and the tax to you have now a large, well, you have 19 people on staff. That's a lot of people to look after and build. So how has your role evolved over the years? And do you actually do any keying in of data anywhere? Or are you just like, out of the business? How many hours a week do you work? What's that like? Yeah, early on, I was doing everything. I was bookkeeping. I was preparing all the tax returns. I was, it, was the, it was a one-man show for a while. Right now, I don't do any of that. I don't prepare tax returns. I don't do any of the data entry. Uh, most of my job and my role in my company is just that relationship building with clients. Mm-hmm. So we have a team that will take care of them. Um, they know who that team is. They go regulate to that team instead of me. Um, and we made real intentionality of, of of structuring that with our clients in that way. So it wasn't just, okay, well, I have questions. You yeah, have an accountant I'm working with or I have a tax person I'm working with. I'm still going to go to you, Josh, right? Like I, I really told the clients like, hey, this is how we operate. You're going to have this great team working for you here. I'm here. I'm going to support that team and their efforts. And I'll be along to help with strategy. And I'll talk to you a couple of times a year over that stuff. Um, but your team will be served by our, our team. And so there, there's a lot of clarity around that. So it's not me presenting myself as, oh, yeah, I do all this stuff. And then I don't, you know, everyone else is doing that. But like there's clarity and like you're going to be treated really well with our employees. Um, you know, a lot of the things I've known, I've taught them. Right. So um, they're very much an extension of my knowledge. And, and they've even gained their own knowledge, too, as they've, as they've grown and developed. Um, so it's been that. And so my time really is very limited on client time. I maybe less than 10% of my week is on any client related matters. Um, Most of my time is running the business, building the business, growing the business, being that kind of visionary in the business and and doing that and allow my team to to succeed. I know when I get involved in client related things, I generally are gonna slow things down and be the bottleneck and screw things up for my team. We're like, okay, that was, you totally made it worse now. Um, And so I know I need to let them do their thing. Um, and so even if I have clients ask me questions, I know my accountant can answer it. I will forward them that question and say, hey, you know, your accountant, Irene, is going to do a really good job in answering this question for you. She, she knows your books in and out, and then she can give you that information. And that really sets up my team to be advisors to them, too, right? Because they see now my team as people who are capable of advising them uh, and they go to them now first before me right so a lot of times when big things are happening in that that brewery i'm not the first person to hear about it. i hear about it from our team because they have developed that relationship and develop what that looks like but there's a lot of intentionality of structuring it that way um, and then making that transition and anytime you make transitions like that they're clients who always come to me with everything that are not necessarily going to be as happy now go have to go through someone else to get to me or rely on someone else to do that. But um, I think if you do it right and really explain the purpose of that, um, they they get that and they understand that. And so you, know, you just have to be careful in that, that transition um, and make sure that they're still feeling cared for in the same way that they were before. But that's generally gone pretty well for us because we have a, just a really solid team that has, has served our clients pretty well. And so that that's helpful. And, and, and they're almost just as much as experts in, in the industry as I am now. So and that's I think that's an important part of scaling that team, too, is you, you can't just leave that expertise in your brain. Um, it has to be freely shared within the organization. 
because you, I want my team to advise the clients. And uh, if they can't do that, and then I, it always comes back to me, then now I'm the bottleneck in everything that happens. Do not put a top secret stamp on your expertise and leave it inside your head for nobody else to get. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly, yeah. How do you think your pricing compares to your, in air quotes, um, unniched competitors for the kinds of work that you do given your expertise? Like, how are you able, to what extent do you capture the added value, the value add of having a full team top to bottom of accountants and CPAs who understand the niche? Yeah, so we are definitely priced way higher than our unniched competitors. Um, and in some cases, we're priced higher than our niche competitors. And that's intentional. We'd say that upfront on the sales calls that we do and say, you know what, like, we have a deep body of expertise. You're going to have to pay for that, and it, we will be expensive. So if you're going to compare us to our generalist accounting firm or the accounting firm you're coming from that's a generalist accounting firm, we will be more expensive. Like we're, We get that up front, and if they're okay with that and they understand that, great, let's continue to have this conversation. Um, we don't want to waste our time and then like say, oh, our prices are 4x what you're, <laughs> you're currently being paid, you're charging from your, your accountant. We want to be clear about that up front, but we also demonstrate that as well, their expertise. And so, and a lot of times that prospective brewery client or prospective agency client comes to us knowing us from our expertise in the industry, right? So they already know they're getting into a situation where they need that expertise. And so um, they're aware that that's going to happen, but uh, we're pretty clear about that upfront. And I think that's important because if we are really experts and we are good at what we do and we are going to solve their problems and help them achieve their desired outcomes, there is there is a there's a price to pay for that, right? And if we charge the same as someone else that just does everything, right? Then what is our expertise actually worth, right? And, and I think that's in some ways a signaling to your clients of whether you, you have that expertise or don't have that expertise um, with is with your price, right? So um, it's one thing to say you're an expert, but then if you charge the same amount or less, then your clients are really seeing that maybe you don't have that expertise, right? You're saying you have it, but you don't actually have that, and so. Um, we're pretty we're pretty clear about that, and and sometimes uh, you know we get prospective clients that bristle at that a little bit. It's like, well, my old person charged me this, and that's what I expect from you. It's like, well, then we can't deliver that same value, right? Like, if you want to pay that amount, you're going to get a lot, a ton less value, and it's it's not going to be what you want. And so, if for in order for us to do what we do best, you're this is the price that you have to pay. And so, you know, and we're we're a big believer in doing fixed rates and value pricing and all that good stuff. And so our prices reflect that. And it's pretty clear from our proposals that we're, we're more expensive, but there's there's reasons behind that. And there's, and there's value that they get from that too, right? We do um, an annual benchmarking event for our brewery clients. And so we, it's kind of a mini conference. We bring in guest speakers. We provide them with a benchmarking report, comparing them to other breweries in our portfolio of clients and, and, and breweries elsewhere. Uh, and it's all done anonymously. And, uh, and then we work with them based on that information to advise them to say, like, hey, like your cost of goods sold uh, per barrel beer is way more than your competitors. And here's what we need to do to fix this. And so showing that value in different ways where like that is a benefit of working with us like we put that on the proposal you're gonna get to be part of this thing and you're gonna get a bunch of advice and strategy around that when you come with us that's that's baked into our price did i hear in there that you charge you think four times more than your unniche competitors or was that just kind of like being figurative no that's i think that's that's probably about right. Three or four times our unniche competitors is probably about where our pricing comes into yeah and in there about how many hours a week are you working 
I, in the firm itself, I work maybe 30-ish hours a week. I have other things I do. I teach at, uh, I teach at the University of Vermont in their business of craft beer program, right? That, that takes time out of my week. And uh, again, and there are places to show my expertise and, and, and do that stuff. I teach at Northwestern University in their accounting programs. Um, I do other speaking events at, at, in, uh, in the accounting world. And so um, my actual time working on the firm is less than 40 hours. If even I've, I pulled that out and, and did more work in the firm, I wouldn't go over 40 hours. I don't work weekends. If I'm working nights, it's because I didn't work during the day for some reason, doing things with kids or whatever. And so um, I try to really kind of limit that that time down because one, as an owner, uh, it's a big kind of philosophy of our firm. None of our employees work more than 40 hours a week, even during tax season. We are really big in the capacity management and 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 making sure that you know we're not over overworking our employees and making them work 80 hours during the tax season because that's what the industry does. Um, uh, instead, we, we charge premium prices and people work 40 hours a week. And so um, I think that's really important and that's important I show that too, right? So I'm not emailing out at 2 a.m. in the morning because that's what the partner does, right? It's like, and even if I do, like I'm working at night because I didn't work during the day and I'm pinging some of my employees, I very clear like, don't answer this until tomorrow if you see it, right? <laughs> like, um, just because I'm working a light, slightly different schedule that day versus a normal day. So um, I think it's important, um, especially as an owner in a firm that you don't work more than 40 hours a week. Um, it's very easy for you to do that. There's a lot of things you say, oh, I can do all sorts of things and work 70 hours a week, but you're not gonna be effective in that time. Um, it's gonna, things are gonna take longer. It's gonna be more of a mess. Um, and I found that the less I work, the better that I am at the work that I do. Um, and so I, I'm a huge believer in, in, in keeping at that. And allow yourself to, again, I own a firm, right? Like I should enjoy having time with friends and family and get to go on vacations and do fun stuff, right? Like if I'm working all the time, then what am I doing, right? Like, I, you know, that's not that's not the point of this, right? Uh, and so it's a real it's a real important for me that that's what I do for myself. It's also really important that that's demonstrated for our team too, because I don't want to say, oh, I work forty hours, and then I'm always working on the weekends and do all sorts of stuff. And my team's like, well, I guess now I have to work on the weekends because the boss is working on the weekends, right? Like, that's not that's you have to signal appropriately with how you work, because um, your team looks at you. And, and for that that leadership, and so, um, and they want to do what you do, and so uh, I'm pretty pretty good about keeping it at, you know less than forty hours a week. As a result, um, allows me to do these other things that I enjoy doing, like teaching and uh, and speaking, and uh, and uh, and allows me to to have that flexibility to do that. I love it. Charge a premium and work forty hours a week. Did you ever think about adding revenue streams with digital content workshop, like creating a digital course for your breweries and selling it for four ninety five or two thousand dollars on the web, or writing an ebook or any of that? Yeah, I mean we've we thought about that and we've done some ebooks, but it's always done in the purpose of driving people to be a client in our firm and not to to gain gain, gain revenue out of it. We've explored doing some of those things, but. Our, a lot of what we do is like, let's put our knowledge out there, our expertise out there, because if we do that, people are gonna see that and they're gonna come to us when they have that need. You know, yeah, I can charge for some of the stuff that I do and we may do in the future, but right now it's really just done for lead gen purposes uh, because I, I really want that knowledge out there and the show our expertise, right? Um, we haven't done any of paid uh, paid expertise type things like that, but uh, we, we do give a lot of that way for free um, as, a, as a way to market ourselves. When did you bolt on the digital agencies as a niche and what made you want to do that? 
Good question. Yeah, so we went through a huge rebranding exercise um, about three years into our firm. Um, my firm used to be called Joshua Land CPA LLC, which is a terrible name for a firm. It really just says there's one person there and they're going to do your work. <laughs> um, and we weren't. We had employees and we were trying to build this thing where it wasn't me doing everything. Um, and so we went through a rebranding with an agency and, you know, new website and really kind of invested a lot in that. And then we did that and we kind of, we put our brand out there, again, very focused on breweries and didn't say anything else besides that. But then we got a lot of digital agencies come to us and say, hey, like you understand what we do and you demonstrated that by having this, you know, going through this branding exercise and the way you talk about yourself on your website and all the things that you're presenting. Show me that you actually care about what agencies do and that you've demonstrated that in your firm. And we talked to a lot of account firms and you can look at a lot of account firms' websites and it's it's not good and it's not great. Uh, and so we started just naturally getting these agencies coming to us. And so we talked about internally, like, hey, do we want to do this, right? We don't have that knowledge of expertise like we do in breweries. Do we want to go down that route? But as we started talking to these agencies and started started to advise them, a lot of ways, the way they work is the same way we work. Um, you know, their professional services were professional services, right? They have staffing issues of how they staff projects and how they sell and, and all these things, right? And so it's like, hey, like we actually have more expertise in here than we think, and maybe we have something we can go off here. And so um, we started to lean into that a bit and started to get more agency clients coming to us. And um, but that also meant like, all right, like we now need to build that knowledge and brain power expertise in that industry too. And so let's start going to their conferences and let's start figuring those things out. And so, so that's been, that was good. I think that was, I think that was good for us too, because from a, especially during the pandemic, breweries got pretty hard hit, um, as far as their hospitality, they have a lot of tap rooms, those weren't open. And then, so there was some, some hits there. Um, and that kind of diversified things for us, whereas our agency clients were, did, didn't really have any hiccups during that time period. And so that was helpful just from a diversification standpoint. But uh, when we went through that idea of, okay, do we really want to add on a second edge? Like we, we kind of made sure like, if we're going to do, we got to go all in, right? We can't just say, oh, we work with agencies or, oh, we work with this whatever industry and just do it just for the sake of doing it. Like let's, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. And so uh, it was kind of a concerted effort amongst kind of our leadership team of, okay, if we're going to do this, let's actually do this. And so, you know, that's been super helpful and that's been super good. Um, and it's been a great way to uh, diversify a little bit, but also a great way to, you know, advise our clients and learn new things. And it keeps our people sharp and, and, and that's a good thing for us. So, um, but that, there's a lot of intentionality upon, okay, do we go down a second inch route and, and what is that actually going to be mean for us as a, as a firm? And how many years in was it again that you did it? Yeah, we, it was probably about, you know, after the rebrand, it was probably about year four. So kind of halfway in our firm's life cycle to date uh, was when we really leaned into that. Yeah. And so what would you say to CPAs who are out there and they're kind of on the fence about niching? Maybe they think it's a good idea. Maybe they don't think it's a good idea. Maybe they want to have three niches. I get this question a lot, like how many niches is too many? I mean, I know my answer and listeners know my answer. My answer is, you know, at the outset one, so you can understand the process of going through a niche and becoming an expert and having the experience of simplifying, systematizing and so on, providing more value more easily, more readily because you have a deep understanding. Yes, it does potentially expose you to, you know, craziness happening in the marketplace. But when you're a business owner, that's the risk that you take on as a business owner. And that's, in theory, why you get paid the big bucks at the end of the day is because you've taken on the risk. So as a business owner, if you're not niching, 
you're just busting your tail. And then the risk is like when the market turns south, you just get swallowed up like everybody else does. So there's risk either way. Anyways, the question is, so people like to throw this decoy. Like I say diversification is great for like, that's a great investment strategy, but it's not a great niching strategy. It's the opposite of a niching strategy. So what do you say? You know, you've done it. So your words carry weight. What do you offer for people who are like, I kind of want to get in the water, but it's cold. What should I do? Yeah, I think if you want to niche, you have to go all in on the niche. Um, and that may mean that you are shut in revenue in order to do that because you need the capacity to learn and to sell and to grow and to do that stuff. Um, going halfway in, I've seen a lot of firms, you know, try to dip their toes or try to say like, I niche in five different things or three different things. Like you don't niche in anything here, right? <laughs> you're just trying to- Still generalism. You're just trying to get clients in different ways that, and you're not really an expert. And so you have to go all in. I think people are concerned because it's like, well, I already have something that's sort of working. Why would I change it? But like, I think the reality is that expertise is immensely valuable to your clients. And I think more and more, and it's not even just CPAs, but you see this across industry types of that specialization that's happening. And as consumers, your consumers are getting trained for specialization too, right? That um, if I really want, you know, a nice meal, I'm not going to go to the Olive Garden. Not not the Olive Garden, but like that's very mass market. It's it's meant for everybody. But if I really want a nice Italian dinner, I need to go to a place that does that really well. And um, I think more and more people want that kind of almost artisan type approach um, in their consumer behavior. And so I think that works the same way in working with businesses. And we found that when we bring on brewery clients, especially when they've come from a firm that's a generalist traditional type firm, that they saw very clearly what they were missing here, right? And I think as time goes on, more and more firms are going to niche uh, and more and more firms are going to go down that strategy because they see how beneficial it is for their clients and therefore their firm. Uh, and so if you're going to do it, you got to do it. And yeah, that, may, that transition may be hard. And I've talked to firm owners who did that transition and it was hard because they, they dropped clients and they had to rechange things and then, you know, they really had to reconstruct their firm in a lot of different ways. And that part was painful in the short term. But in the long term, if you ask them now, it's like, oh, yeah, that was the greatest thing I ever did in my firm because it opened up so much more doors. It brought in so much better, better revenue. Um, and I'm not killing myself trying to serve everybody and trying to do everything. Um, and I think uh, Blair ends in his book, One Without Pitching Manifesto, talks about the, the notion of the expert. Um, and, and part of that notion of the expert is you only do what you're an expert in. Um, and I think a lot of people say, well, I, I'm great in taxes or I'm great in doing client account services. But you're you're so broad in it that you don't have that expertise. And in order to be truly great, you have to narrow that down. And I mean, saying no to a lot of things that you're not the expert in, so you can say yes to those things you are an expert in. Um, and that that takes time, and there's transition around that, and it's not for the faint of heart at all. But the firms I know that have done that, which is a lot harder than what I did when I just started out, and I was niching from scratch, it, it it's proved out to be really, really beneficial for them. Yeah, for sure. Undoing when you have something built that you need to deconstruct. It's sort of like remodeling an existing house comparing to building from the ground up. It's like, right. yeah. if your windows are parallelograms, you have extra shimming to do. So, <laughs> right. Not that I speak from experience. 
And of course, we have listeners who really want to know if your prices are four times higher, your costs four times higher to deliver, like how is that kind of map over? Yeah, so there are more costs, right? Like if I'm building up my team to be experts, I'm going to have higher labor costs in general, right? Like I, I, I need to pay them more because I need them to be more and do more. Besides that, my other costs aren't as high. It's there, There's really not a whole lot of change. It, it labor's, labor's a big part. Um, I probably travel more to conferences and spend more money on education than maybe a traditional firm, um, especially because it's not CPE education. It is, it's truly for learning the expertise. Um, and so there's some more expense around that and cost around that. And there's some more cost around marketing because if I'm an expert, I need to make sure that message gets out. So if I'm going to do marketing, I need to do it well and very targeted and succinct. And But besides that, like, it's not forex. It's not forex the cost, right? So the note, you know, at the end of the day, it is we're a much more profitable firm as a result um, because we're able to structure in this way. Um, so yeah, you may have additional costs, and there's going to be additional things that happen, but it's not it's not in the same uh, multiple as your your increase in revenue um, compared to working as a generalist. And so um, I think that's important um, to figure out, and it will probably be more costly in the short run because if you are changing things up, right, you're going to create more costs, you're going to have employees probably leave because they don't want, they don't buy into the vision. And there's just gonna be a whole lot of turnover stuff that ends up happening that you're going to have to deal with. But then again, on the long run, um, that investment pays off uh, in multiples. Um, and it's, you know, if I ever have to do it again, like, there's no way I would ever start a journalist firm ever. Um, I've, I've seen how a specialist firm works and pretty confident that's the way forward um, for, for most firms. And eventually I think most firms are gonna have to get there at some point. And so um, I think that's uh, that's pretty key and critical in, in how you plan and run and structure and strategize in your own firm and, and you plan out your own firm is um, that, that specialization is going to be a bit messy at the beginning, but in the long run, it's good. Yeah, I mean, if you don't do it now, other people will do it, and you'll be last to the party, and there will be no shrimp left. Well, yeah, exactly. I think when I started my firm, I was one of maybe two other firms that specialized in breweries at the time mm-hmm. that were kind of small firms like me, specializing in breweries, all in on breweries. We're not a big firm that does a little bit of everything. Since that time, there's probably about 20, 25 firms that are like mine that are specializing in breweries, and it's not like we have, there's more competition, but we don't usually run into each other. And a lot of times we're running against general accounting firms. Oh, interesting. Even though there's 20 of you nationwide, you, st- you still think there's enough space, there's enough elbow room, like there's enough space on the dance floor for all of you. Oh, yeah. There's there's way more than enough space. Like, I, I, I get, there's 9,000 craft breweries out there. There's 20 of us. Even if you take, you know, we're averaging, let's say, 200 breweries a, a firm, we're not there yet, right? Like, and so it's, there is a lot of space there. There's a ton of space there. And I think that even that thing like, well, maybe yeah, I wanna do digital agencies. And there's 100 or 200 different CPA firms specializing in digital agencies. You know what, like, when we do it, we don't run into our digital agencies, uh, firms that specialize in that, right? We run into the mom and pop shop or the firm that's been there for 50 years or their dad's CPA firm because they didn't know where to go. And their dad said, well, use these guys. and. We don't run into each other all that much, which is great because then we collaborate. Um, I, you know, my teaching gig at, at, at Vermont came to be because another one of the accountants I work with was leaving there and they needed someone to replace them and said, oh, you should talk to Josh, right? Like, because we know each other and we're not, 
we know there's so many more clients out there than we could ever imagine to serve that there's no worry like are we specialized where are we boxing ourselves in and it's then it's good that we can collaborate with each other like we've done events with other firms specialized with breweries and and gain from their knowledge and we gain from they gain from us right and there's not that like oh we got to keep it all ourselves and um and, and be afraid of competitors and the reality is they're really more collaborators than anything else we refer business to each other when it makes sense and um and it, it, it's been actually pretty good. And those more and more people that come in, all the more better because that just shows the market that specialization works. And and uh, um, then we don't really have to compete on price with these journalist firms that are charging for us, you know, four x less than us. And so that that's also beneficial as well. I love that. This has been so helpful. If folks want to find you or reach out to you, where can they do that? Yeah, best way is to reach out to me, get link with me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, you can find me on there, Joshua Lance CPA. Um, Twitter is another good place, LanceJD1 on Twitter. Uh, or you can email me at josh at lancecpa.com. I'd be happy to answer questions, show what we do, give you our secrets, and, and, and allow you to, to, to benefit from that. So good. Josh Lance, thanks so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you, Geraldine. This has been great. Do you want to build a practice where you can work with clients who pay you four times more, but you want to build it in a way where you're not working four times harder? In fact, you're working less, more like 40 hours a week. You can build a firm where you get to do work that makes you happy without killing yourself while still bringing in great revenue. This is the exact work I do with CPAs. As of this recording, I have two spots available in my custom VIP one-on-one coaching program, which is designed to get you through to the other side. From working 70 hours a week and knowing that you're under-earning, down to 40 hours a week, and where you generate more revenue. Don't let yourself do one more painful tax season. Now is the time if you want to create a firm that's so much easier to run, and I can help you do it. If you want to know more, go to GeraldineCarter.com and click on the red coaching options button. That URL again is GeraldineCarter.com. Have an amazing week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.